0: This episode is sponsored by SaveTheChildren.org. Save the Children believes every child deserves a future. In the United States and around the world, they work every day to give children a healthy start in life, the opportunity to learn, and protection from harm. They deliver lasting results for millions of children, including those hardest to reach, and do whatever it takes for children, every day. Right now, the coronavirus is the biggest global health crisis of our lifetime. It threatens children in every way. COVID-19 has already left many children without caregivers, out of school, and exposed to violence and exploitation. With your support, SaveTheChildren.org can help children in unsafe households and help support distance learning in the face of school closures. Here are some of the ways your support can make a difference. For just $5, you can buy a baby's first book, providing comfort and inspiring a lifelong love of learning. For 10 bucks, you can nourish an out-of-school child in need for one-day breakfast, lunch, and dinner. For $35, you can provide educational toys and activities to engage eager out-of-school learners. And for 50 bucks, you can deliver essentials that keep kids learning while out of school, like books, activities, and supplies. Go to savethechildren.org slash savekids today or www.savethechildren.org slash savekids to make a difference.
1: So what I like about this, first of all, they build successful businesses, but at the same time, they enjoy life and they do all of different activities outside of work. So they travel, they do sport activities. And uh, for example, Denmark okay, has two kids. So it's not all about work and business. They still care about families. They still care about their health and mind. So that's why I admire this too. My name is Dennis Lonev, and I'm the founder and CEO of Deposit Fix.
0: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lab and today, how Dennis Lunov set out to solve a large integration problem between payment gateways and HubSpot. All this and more on Code Story. Nine years ago, Dennis Lunov moved from Russia to the USA, specifically to Chicago. After spending some time in the brutal winters, he moved his family to Texas to be in a warmer climate. Outside of tech, Dennis likes to polish his skills in archery and throw axes. Previously, he was a software engineer attempting to build SaaS solutions that didn't quite pan out. Afterwards, while doing integration consulting, he saw the need to connect payment gateways to the well-known CRM HubSpot. So he set out to fill the gap and built DepositFix, a way to directly integrate Stripe and PayPal into the world's most used CRM.
1: DepositFix is a payment integration for HubSpot. And for those who are not familiar with HubSpot, it's a CRM and marketing platform. And DepositFix runs on top of that and has very tight integration with it. There are two main components that we have. A checkout widget, clients can embed HTML code to their website and then they will be able to accept payments on their website. And another part is a backend integration that syncs data between payment gateways and HubSpot. So for MVP, I already had a prototype before starting fix, uh from those consulting clients and already knew something about the problem, about the approach, so it was not a fresh start. But I was actually very hesitant to pull the trigger and build a full-blown product. So the MVP was very, very, very basic thing. There was no UI, and to create a payment form, customer actually had to write JavaScript on their own. So I was providing an HTML snippet And you had to put a price here in this variable, product name you put there. And then when the page renders, it displays the payment form. And when I saw that clients pay 50 bucks a month for that version, I knew, okay, maybe there's something in there. It actually might have a big potential. And I started adding more and more features to that. In terms of technologies, It's pretty unusual stack for a startup, pretty boring, I would say. It's Java and Spring Boot framework on backend and Postgres as database. For frontend, we use AngularJS for client dashboards, and it all runs on AWS. I chose that stack just because I had a lot of experience working with that technologies. And to be honest, I wouldn't change it right now because it's been pretty solid and I don't have plans to
0: change that. Gotcha, it makes sense if it's working for you. When you built that first MVP, what decisions and trade-offs did you have to make in the short term? What sort of technical debt did you have to take on?
1: So first, since uh, people accept a lot of different features from a checkout project, uh, from a payment integration, but we didn't have a lot of features. So we decided instead of just adding everything to the main product, we would build a plugin system and we would create some different tweaks, additional features for each client individually for their payment page. And it allowed us to move very quickly and very specific things for for clients. I think it was the right decision at that point because we, we didn't spend a lot of time building features at the start but from the other hand we build specific features for clients and exactly what they needed
0: so you're essentially building a market-backed solution which is good the market's telling you that this is what we want but it's easy to get caught up in fulfilling everyone's needs even though they're different how did you choose what was best for deposit fix and for the clients who were asking
1: so we tried not to do something very specific that other potential clients would not benefit. And we tried to do something that has a potential to be valuable to somebody else. And if we think about building a the roadmap, then obviously we had our own ideas how to progress with the product And with the feature requests, we tried to understand what's the actual problem of the features that people request. Because in many cases, when people request some features, they might not understand that they actually need something else to solve the problem. To give you an example, we've been asked for deals integration with HubSpot. And then I ask, so why do you need that? And they tell me, okay, we need deals just because HubSpot then provides reports based on that. Okay, what kind of reports do you need? We need these two numbers to be visible to our team every week and then okay if we just sent you these two numbers every week calculate it on our own and sent you email every week would it work so yeah it would save us a lot of time usually people not necessarily understand what exactly they need from technical perspective
0: got it that makes sense so you mentioned the word roadmap and progressing the product how did you go about building your roadmap how do you do that today That's actually one
1: of my favorite activities right now. And for roadmap, we use a prioritization framework called RISE. It's a framework uh, invented by Intercom. There are other similar approaches like ICE. So RISE stands for reach, impact, confidence, and effort. So it's uh, four metrics. Reach means how many clients, potential clients, can use this feature. Impact is how much value this feature might bring to either your clients or to us. If it can help us to close more deals or reduce support efforts, something like that. Confidence is how much knowledge we have about the problem. And are there any hidden problems that we might not know about right now? And the last one is effort, is how much time this feature might take to implement. So we just assign a score for each of these metrics, and then calculate the total based on the scores. Then we sort the list of feature requests by the scores, and a high score means it's a big value and it's easy to implement. So we start with those first and then move forward with those.
0: Payoff.com is a paying sponsor of the Code Story podcast. You've tried balance transfers and budgeting, but high interest rates and unrelenting bill cycles make it almost impossible to get out of credit card debt on your own. Instead of another new savings technique, you need a clear path out of debt. And that's what a payoff loan can do. A payoff loan is a personal loan backed by member-centric credit unions designed to help you pay off your credit cards with rates as low as 5.99% APR and loan amounts up to $35,000 with no hidden fees and personal customer service support from Payoff to help you reach your financial goals. Some of the benefits of a Payoff loan may also include potential credit score boost, one monthly payment, and savings from lower interest rates. Go to payoff.com slash codestory to learn more. Checking loan rates won't affect your credit score. Try something new. Pay off your credit card debt with Payoff. NMLS ID 1396805. Not all applicants may qualify. Loans only available within the United States. Loan is not available in all states. Payoff works with lending partners who originate the loans. Additional terms, conditions, and eligibility requirements may apply. More information is available at payoff.com codestory This message is brought to you by RIMS, the Risk Management Society. RIMS is a global organization dedicated to the profession of risk management. For nearly 60 years, RIMS has delivered the latest strategies and resources that allow risk professionals to grow, innovate, and succeed in any business. RIMS works with industry leaders to produce content and online training that business professionals turn to. Topics include business continuity, cyber risk, risk management techniques, the fundamentals of insurance, and more. There is also a private, members-only site where people can discuss sensitive issues and get honest answers. Members have been leaning on each other as we all navigate the global pandemic. If you're concerned about the safety of your employees and the sustainability of your organization, you need the resources and connections RIMS provides. Learn more at go.rims.org Codestory. You can save 25% off a year-long membership. Again, that's go.rims.org Codestory. As you move forward into building a product and getting traction, you realize pretty quickly you can't do everything alone. So how did you go about building your team? And what I'm specifically looking for is what did you look for in those people to identify them as the winning horses to join the team? So
1: when I started deposit fix, I at that moment, I still had a full-time job and I usually worked like 80 hours a week and my first hire was a developer, then we had a lot of support tickets, and the second hire was a tech support. And at that time, it was extremely valuable to move the product forward. One of the main characteristics I was looking for in people is they can start and finish things on their own. So I didn't want to do any micromanagement, I wanted self sell starters and people who can Take the project and finish it. At that point, I didn't know a lot about managing team, but somehow it still was right decision to hire for those two roles, and uh, those two roles still essential right now: development and support and customer success. And it allowed me to work on the business and strategy instead of just operations. And my wife helps with the
0: marketing stuff very cool so let's talk about scalability just a little bit you know you start out building an mvp and and some people believe in starting out thinking in scalability terms or and some people don't um you know it just kind of depends on the way that you're wired so how did you build this to scale efficiently or if you didn't how have you been fighting this as you grow
1: with Deposit Fix, at the start, we decided that scalability is not going to be a priority until we get traction and until we get a lot of clients. So we decided to focus on business problems instead of premature optimization. And I was guilty of premature optimization before and I spent a lot of time working on that, but turned out it was useless. We started to have problems with MVP in about four months in and our payment transactions started to process slow and sometimes it was not stable and we even had some downtimes. But at that point it was a very clear signal. Okay, now we should build something more scalable and we need to optimize things. So what we did, we split the whole system into multiple modules. We also introduced uh, messaging with Amazon SPS and optimized other things. And until this point, this architecture still works very strong from, I would say for about two years, we didn't have any problems in terms of scale. And we still able to to process many transactions. and. It works perfectly right now. The next project to optimize and scale the product would be in the future when we'll have clear signals that, okay, we need to move it to, to the next level. But at this point, it's it's
0: been working fine. That's great. So as you step out onto the balcony and you look across all that you've built with DepositFix, what are you most proud of? I'm
1: proud of the product. That we've built because there are a lot of attention to details in the situation, And I think it's a result of the us talking to clients and trying to understand the real problem instead of just building features. And another thing I'm proud of is our support team and the level of service that we provide. We try to help as much as we could and essentially it turned out we are not just software as a service, but we are software as a service, lots of service, and our clients love that.
0: That's awesome. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how your team responded to it.
1: Oh, so many mistakes, but uh, just to pick one, it's related to that plugin system that I was talking about. At one point, we had so many plugins that we decided to okay, it's time to bring everything together. And rewrite the whole system on the new level. So I hired a pretty good TypeScript freelancer. And uh, my approach with that project was, okay, you are a developer, you're very smart, and you know all of these new technologies like JavaScript, TypeScript, much better than me. Here is your specification. I completely trust you. Now go and build stuff. And my biggest mistake at that point was that I didn't check and I didn't test the code. And when he finished, everything was good from a technical side in terms of architecture and all components separately, they were looking actually good, I didn't see problems. But when we started testing the whole system together, the final version, or it was a it was a total miss on the business logic side. So many things just didn't make sense from a customer perspective. So it was good technically, but it was useless product perspective. During the development process, I was talking a lot to our clients and I was communicating, okay, we're building this new form builder, it's going to be awesome, it's going to blow your mind. and all clients were excited. And just before the release date, when we started final testing, we found, oh, that's completely not ready. And we were very frustrated. So uh, the whole project took about six months and we delayed the final version for another couple months. But this mistake is obvious to me. It's just because I didn't communicate the vision of the entire project. I didn't set the right expectations. And I blindly trusted just because I knew that that person is technically very good. But I completely missed communicating business logic and business cases. And now I understand how important this is. So now when I try to explain the features I always try to identify the problem that we're solving, why we're solving it this way, who is this for, how it's gonna work with other systems. So now we have specific vision for for features.
0: So what does the future look like for your product and for your team?
1: We're planning to expand functionality for specific niches. For example, we recently develop a lot of new functions for non-profit organizations to accept donations so we want to dive deep to specific niches and try to cover all of these essential things that needed for those organizations and another thing that we're planning to do is a personalized checkout experience so since we're on the top of hubspot and there's a lot of data inside hubspot crm And we can use the data to improve the experience so we can dynamically change some things just based on previous experience of the client. And I think it should be a big deal for our clients.
0: So tell me, Dennis, who influences the way that you work? A CEO, CTO, or really anyone who influences the way you work, who you look up to, and tell me why. So I would name two people. Noah Kagan from
1: AppSumo and some other products. And another one is Dan Martell. He built multiple successful SaaS companies before, and now he's an investor and coach. So what I like about this, so first of all, they build successful businesses, but at the same time, they enjoy life and they do all of different activities outside of work. So they travel, They do sport activities and uh, for example, Denmark has two kids. So it's not all about work and business. They still care about families. They still care about their health and mind. So that's why I admire this too.
0: I love that. sounds like they have a very balanced approach to being accomplished and an entrepreneur while still being a human being. Yes, yes, exactly. So if you could go back to the beginning when you started deposit fix what would you do differently or what would you consider taking a different approach on
1: from the technical perspective i wouldn't change much because the product i think is pretty solid but i would change stuff from marketing and sales side so i would iterate more often and try different marketing channels and try to experiment with different things and try to move faster on that side it's just because we built great technology but we don't have a strong marketing strategy and we just need more people to know about this product.
0: so last question dennis you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who has built the next big thing they're jazzed about it they want to show it to you they're ready to go show it to the world what advice would you give that person having gone down this road a bit already talk to clients
1: first before even thinking about the product, because we all want to start with solution first. We all want to pick the new framework, new database, and then try it out. When you talk to people, to potential clients, then you understand the problem better. You understand what they actually need, how they expect the product to be developed. And this has really helped me to move with my current business I think it was the
0: key well, that's great advice well Dennis thank you for being on Code Story thank you for telling the creation story of Deposit Fix
1: thank you Noah it's been a pleasure
0: and this concludes another chapter of Code Story Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laporte. season 2 episodes are co-produced and edited by Bradley Denham be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on Patreon.com Codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. This message is from our friends at Calibre. It's impossible to monitor user experience manually. So how do you get it done? Meet Calibre. Use the Calibre tool to test under a variety of user scenarios and receive reports on how to improve crucial interactions. Start a free 15-day trial at caliberapp.com. That's calibreap com.